We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. And we got some news a couple of days ago. Um... Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that Avery Bradley will not be joining the Lakers in Orlando for the restart, effectively ending his season. Uh, his reasons are his reasons. That's that's not what we're going to get into on, on the pod. Uh, but what we're going to talk about in the first segment is what he brought to the Lakers this season and what the Lakers will miss, what they'll need to replace. And then in the second segment, we'll talk about replacing him, uh, guys on the team who may see their roles expand, looking outside for free agent help, uh, all of those options for, you know, what it's going to mean to not have Avery Bradley on the roster. So Darius, what is your just overall impression of what Bradley brought to the table for the Lakers this season? I mean, I wrote about this at, at the site. Um, he was actually in his own way, a pretty good two-way player, for the Lakers this season. Um, Bradley makes his bones as sort of a defensive player and a ball pressure defensive player, sort of one of those point of attack guys that um, does a lot of work to try to disrupt the team, like the opponent's um, primary ball handler and point guard position. He was definitely best served defending point guards. And, and I think that's where he did his best work this season, which for this Lakers team is super important, right? Um, like the other guys who they have who are defensive perimeter players, I think Bradley's probably the best 
on-ball defender of small players. He's the strongest. It's funny. We actually disagree on the small players. I thought that he was better on slightly bigger, more physical guards. Mm -hmm. And that may be in contrast to the other Lakers guards because even, you know, KCP is a good defender. Caruso is a very good defender. uh, But they're not particularly physical. And... Bradley is he's strong he can hit you with his chest and bump you off of his line you know bump you off of your line right uh you know fight over the top of screens there's a physicality that he brought to the table that you know like I'm curious about your overall thoughts on on Bradley defensively but in terms of just being able to get up into a guy I thought that's when he was at his best I I liked him better against bigger ball handlers because I did think that faster guys could give him some difficulty like guys he couldn't body up uh but like those bigger guys like Luka Doncic was a guy who came to mind where he did some really great work uh he he did a great job on Jamal Murray right even though Murray's a smaller guy he's not quite as fast I thought he struggled a little bit with speed but I do think that he brings a degree of physicality and a mentality uh what yeah like more so from the point of attack defense like how did he fit into the guards in a broader scheme of things in your eyes no so I definitely agree with you in terms of like bigger guys the way I would make the distinction though is is like shiftiness Right. And, mm-hmm. and so I think Bradley struggles with more of the shifty players than mm-hmm. he That's does fair. necessarily mm-hmm. like fast players. Right. Be- because That's fair. I thought mm-hmm. he did a really good job, for example, against John Morant in the mm-hmm. matchups against the Grizzlies. And, and Jaws, a speedster with. Well, with the ball, but he is sort of slight, and that's where well, and he's a kid too, right? Yes. Like he doesn't have all of the craft that comes in with changing speeds and knowing how to use that speed and you know different speeds to make his top speed more effective. Yeah, but but Bradley was able to sort of get into his body some and, and use that physical strength that that you mentioned, which I that's do think is is his best trait as an on ball defender. I think that. Bradley's overall defensive package is is probably more limited than some of his less heralded defensive guard teammates, right? Like mm-hmm. like I think Alex Caruso for example is a more well-rounded defensive more player mm-hmm. and more versatile defensive player. Mm-hmm. I actually think that Danny Green is probably overall a better defensive player than than Avery Bradley for all of the off-ball work that Danny Green does for his work in transition and, and and even Green's ability to stay in front of sort of like biggerish wings who Wing. mm-hmm. who are not necessarily like those blow by threats right like and and we don't have a lot of those guys on this team too right so Green is rarer on this team than Brad, than a defensive guard like Bradley no definitely yeah. um, in terms of Bradley though. There are tangible and intangible things that I think matter in Mm -hmm. terms of his defensive effectiveness, right? And and so from a tangible standpoint, I think that his, his physicality matters. It matters in being able to turn a ball handler, which then basically impacts the shot clock, right? I think that there is um, a wearing down factor that when Bradley is playing 20 to 25 minutes a game and and he's always trying to be a physical player at the point of attack, that that has the ability to wear down the the, the opposing ball handler. 
yeah, he might not even be in the game when the benefits of that happen, right? But he's been picking up, you know, half court, been picking, you know, just kind of getting into you. And then by the late third, early fourth, that guy, and Bradley might not even be the game in the game, but that guy's, his legs are starting to feel it. Well, no, definitely be, look, man, like if Bradley picks you up at half court or three quarter, quarter court, right? And he turns you two or three times to get up the court and then then he's up into your body and so you have to sort of pivot away and put your back or or play like a side position to the basket and fend him off some with your off arm all of those things make you play in a crouch right mm-hmm. and, and though and that has the ability to sort of take your legs away just over mm-hmm. time right like just imagine defensively even everyone knows that it's like you sit in a stance forever and your legs just start to feel it oh yeah you do that as a coach right as a high school coach you're like you know get everybody staying in that stance and you hear the oh you hear them starting to moan and groan right because it's it's not comfortable right so if you can get somebody or if somebody for one who can do that all the time and you talked about like the intangible aspects that was one thing when bradley got hurt earlier in the year remember ad was like oh we're gonna it's the avery bradley challenge right which was about being able to be up and competitive and take pride in your defense on a game-to-game basis so Bradley's ability not only to do that, but there's something to be said for the ability to do it all 24 minutes that he's out there. And that's the type of defender that he is. Yeah, there, there's a mindset that comes with that. And mm-hmm. and I think that that's the intangible part, right, is is Avery Bradley's not a leader, quote unquote, on this team, but he's a defensive leader. Right. Like yeah. like the other players take cues from him defensively mm-hmm. and they feed off of him and mm-hmm. they do. So that mindset and that mentality, that's something that comes directly from Vogel. And when the guy who you deploy onto the other team's lead lead ball ball handler takes on that mindset, that is something the rest of the team is going to feed off of. And that's an important thing that I think is going to matter for the Lakers. And that that's one of the areas where I think that they're going to miss him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it kind of galvanizing the defensive effort and his style of defense is very complementary to the rim protecting bigs that we have. And that's something that, you know, the same could be said, although their strengths and weaknesses are a little different with Caruso and KCP, but those really aggressive guards on the perimeter, Bradley was one of those and he was the most physical of, of the bunch. Now, on the offensive end, you you commented that he had a solid, you know, two-way season, right? And he had, especially right before uh, the stoppage, he had that 24-point game against the Clippers, which was a a season high. He was somebody I'd written about where LeBron and Anthony Davis attract so much attention that the defense has to make a decision on where to send that that attention from and in the starting lineup specifically it was almost always from Bradley because even though JaVale McGee isn't a floor spacer for as a shooter he's a vertical threat right so you have to your help defenders have to stay you know a little bit closer your weak side taggers have to tag a little harder when he's around or whether he's in the dunker spot or on the roll uh, so he he helps spacing even though he's not a shooter. So the place that was always obvious to take it from because you're not really going to do it from Danny Green was from Avery Bradley, and that's why like when Avery Bradley had it going offensively, the Lakers were pretty darn difficult to beat. What what was your impression overall just of his offensive contribution and like where he fits in? Like wh- where will he be missed going forward in these last eight games and into the playoffs? Well, 
it's interesting because that last stretch before the season shut shut down, he was shooting the ball exceptionally well, mm-hmm. man. Like, mm-hmm. like I, th- I think for that stretch, and I don't have the numbers in front in front of me, but he felt like at least like a forty percent three point shoe shooter. Oh yeah, and, no, he was he was way up there, yeah. right? And, and so he was hitting open shots. Where I think though that he'll be missed most is his understanding of spacing principles. He's a fantastic cutter. Cutter. He is just mm-hmm. a great cutter. And when you pair a player like that with a LeBron James and then and, and then you put him in lineups with Anthony Davis and Danny Green. So when, when you 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 were talking about how he's surrounded by these offensive threats that the other team is taking super seriously, right? So what Bradley could do then was sort of lurk around the court and, and use his instincts as a slasher and, and as a cutter to find open creases. And the defense then had to start to pay attention to him or else he was going to get the types of wide open looks that you actually don't want to give to any player. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's one thing to cheat off of a player like Avery Bradley, because in theory, you know where he is. We're going to help off of him in these very specific situations. And then we're going to recover to the space where we know that he's standing. But if he then cuts behind you and then that puts the defense in a, to a rotation, then it may not be Avery Bradley who gets the shot, but it may be Danny Green who gets a wide open three, mm-hmm. or it may be Anthony Davis who gets a nice little pocket pass for a dunk, or JaVale gets gets a lob. There are all kinds of, of opportunities that get created when you have players who were smart moving off of the ball the way that Avery Bradley was. It's it's honestly one of the benefits that Alex Caruso brings to the court when he's right. partnered with LeBron James as well. Caruso also incorporates screens, flare screens, like little back screens, um, little pin screens, and, and he does a lot of other stuff off of the ball besides cutting, but but Bradley, I thought, was, was a really good cut, cut, cutter. I also think that um, he was really starting to find his groove in th- that handoff horn set that that yeah. the Lakers run. I was going to talk about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. So please, please. No, well, that's you know we'll get more. To, uh, let's get more to that in the, the next segment when we talk about replacing him because I do think that some of the personnel is more equipped to kind of slot right into that role in sets exactly like those that horns handoff set that they that they run all the time uh that we run all the time yes it's nice to say yes <laughs> uh and th- yeah some guys are a little more equipped to do that than, than others i think that um his ball handling was something i was impressed by this season in that he is like there's nothing fancy particularly about it it was something an element of his game though that i underestimated he can dribble right like he's a he's a perfectly competent ball handling guard uh and if you put him in motion right like on that horns handoff set uh then you know he can make passing reads out of that he shot 51 percent from two-point range this year which was uh, you know one of his higher marks and was up at 36.4 percent from three although that was a he was very hot and cold from behind the arc uh but him he 
as you pointed out, like that attention that's going to those other guys, he knows how to exploit that with with cuts, usually out of that left corner, um, you know, and being able to read when he needs to do that versus when he needs to rotate back up for back responsibility on the on the defensive end. Just there's a certain degree of knowing how to play that came with Bradley that the Lakers are certainly going to miss on both ends of the court. I I do think that, you know, the deeper we get into the playoffs, the more we're going to see teams switching, especially in critical lineups. And the, is Avery Bradley going to make this shot or not, this open shot or not? I thought was going to be a very pivotal thing on, pivotal element about, regarding whether or not the Lakers, you know, would get as far as they they could go. And um, that's something that I I, I was never, you know, because he can go cold. Right. Yes, so right. it's not something that I, I, I was I wasn't, you know, convinced that it wouldn't work. It just wasn't something that I was terribly confident about. So uh, but the Lakers are certainly going to miss him. And, and he had a, a solid two way season. Uh, let's take a little break. And when we get back, let's talk about how they're going to try to replace his role. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Okay, so Bradley played 24 minutes a game this season, uh, starting the the game and then starting the third quarter, usually with a third shift mixed in. If he had it going in particular, he would close out the games. But that was... Touch and go, right, whether or not he'd be in the closing lineup. So he's playing half of the game. Now, the question becomes, how do the Lakers replace him? My perspective is that continuity is at a premium considering the circumstances of the return to play, right? Like, this isn't the time to do new. Get as close to back on track with the things that you were doing well prior to the stoppage. You will incorporate some team-specific things in the playoffs, but I think by and large, the biggest challenge is just getting on track with and getting as close to how you were before the stoppage. And in that spirit, I would advocate for KCP to fill that starting spot. Um, He was the guy who filled that when Bradley was out with an injury a couple of times throughout the season. You mentioned that that Horns uh, handoff play, right? That's something that KCP runs as well and has had a lot of success with Dwight Howard in particular. That's something that he can do with JaVale. They can run the same play. They can run a lot of the same actions. I think that, you know, with KCP in the lineup, though the whole where do we take attention off of becomes a more difficult question for defenses. And I, th- I think that there are, are fewer good answers. Um in terms of rotation, you know, it'd be curious to see how Caruso and Rondo fit uh, from a playoff perspective. That's somewhere where the Lakers would get hurt in terms of their size uh, at the two, three spot, right? Like the bigger wings would give give us difficulty throughout the season. But um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, before getting into KCP or you, or you can if you'd like, but what what, what do we need like, can we replace what Bradley brought or do we need to be looking for just a different type of guy to do a different type of thing? And what should that be? 
so I think it's interesting that there there definitely is a continuity aspect, which I think you you laid out well with with KCP. Um, there is this next man up mentality. And in theory, KCP is the next man up. And he would typically be the guy who stepped in for Bradley. So let's keep things the same. Mm-hmm. And I'm I think that's a perfectly fair and reasonable argument. And if that's how things things went, I'd say, yes, no worries at all. Um I might be interested, though, in Alex Caruso mm-hmm. as a replacement mm-hmm. for Avery Bradley. To me, he's probably the closest um, facility to what Bradley did for mm-hmm. the Lakers. Yeah, I always mess up that word. So you always mess, I love that. So you you know, <laughs> like I'll say it different the next time. So let's just keep it rolling, right? <laughs> Um, I was wondering if you were going to acknowledge the look on my face no, or if you were just going to keep I already going felt it. Like my yeah. eyes were closed. <laughs> Even though my eyes were closed. I saw it. Um, carry, carry on, sir. No, no, no. We're fine. We we could talk about, you know, this for longer. No? Yeah. No, no. We're good. We're good. So if I'm fine saying KCP, but Caruso is a guy who can who can really um, attack you some too at the point of attack. He offers um, more size in terms of like height and, and just like plays a more physical game than KCP. Um, he also works really well with LeBron, which I think is important in terms of chemistry. Um, you had mentioned in our last segment that Avery Bradley offered a bit more ball handling than what you anticipated. And mm-hmm. I think that while Bradley didn't do a ton of that with that first group, he did do it some, right? Mm-hmm. Um, LeBron was still the main ball handler, but with if you go to a KCP Danny Green backcourt to start, to, to start the game, that pretty much exclusively makes LeBron the ball handler almost every single possession, um, right. right? There may be times where you might even then say, like, LeBron's going to bring the ball up and make his first pass to KCP in order to then get into a set where you would normally have LeBron start off of the ball. And, mm. and I just think that there are complications that, that come with that. Yeah, I- I mean, AD is your second best ball handler in that lineup. Yeah, and so Caruso could help fill in a little mm-hmm. bit there. Um, I also, but it, it gets tricky then too, right? Like I think Caruso is very well served in the role that he currently plays. Um, so I would probably go with KCP. I'd stack Rondo and Caruso in similar ways to what they were used during the regular season. And then mm-hmm. I'd probably look at Dion Waiters some as mm-hmm. a potential option to be another guard who could soak up some some minutes. What, what are, what's the scenario in which playing Waiters makes sense? Because he's a guy who hasn't played a single minute for the Lakers yet. And... Which isn't to say he does, he won't have a role going forward, but he's a different type of guard than the other guards that we have on the team. Like, what what are the types of situations, types of games where it's like, hey, let's throw Dion Waiters in? I think if the Lakers are playing small, um, and maybe in a lineup where, let's say, only one of LeBron and AD are on the floor, and let's mm-hmm. say that um, the other big man is Morris, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then you go small with like a three guard lineup with like Caruso and Danny Green. And then you want another sort of offensive player who could do some things off off of the dribble. I might slot waiters between Caruso and Danny Green and that type of lineup. Right. Mm-hmm. Um you you know that could also be a time where you would normally maybe see KCP play because that would be KCP spot right Caruso right. KCP uh, Morris AD um, Kuz. and mm-hmm. Kuzma or something like that right mm-hmm. but in these scenarios KCP is starting so his right. so his shifts then are different and then at that point you're either extending Caruso's minutes or extending Rondo's minutes and while I'm all for extending Caruso's minutes I probably want him playing as much as I can with LeBron as well mm-hmm. and and I want to optimize those Caruso LeBron minutes so I do think there could end up being scenarios where you could have um like waiters in there as like one of those mm-hmm. guards between like in a small ball line that per, like particularly one with LeBron and Caruso so that waiters isn't asked to do too much from a ball handling standpoint but but could still but could still do it some and focus on on his isolation game but what about you do do you envision him playing at all I, I don't think he's going to be a part of the rotation. Um, it's funny, you know, I, I'll, I'll get back to Caruso in a second, but one thing from re-watching the end of the season is, as, or at least before the stoppage, Vogel was starting to tighten up his rotation a little bit, right? And Caruso was getting fewer minutes in the last couple of games, right? And part of it, he had had some foot injuries and foot difficulties, so who's to, I don't know to what degree that played into reduced minutes, but Vogel was starting to tighten it up, right, in those games against Milwaukee and, and against uh, the Clippers. Now, with with Bradley out of the mix, I think Caruso is probably the guy from a minutes perspective that stands to gain the most, especially considering stylistically he's probably the closest guard the Lakers have defensively to him. Because KCP is more of like a lock and trail guy, shoot the gap on passing lanes. Caruso can defend on, he's a better on ball defender than KCP is. Um, and, and so, I, but with Waiters, there are a couple of applications to him. For one, he's a like you know, you your offense is struggling through a quarter and a half. It, that's always going to happen in the playoffs, right? The other team's switching, which is which means that your offense is going to become more reliant on individual shot creation. He's a guy where hey, we get another guy who can create a shot with the second unit. Put him alongside Rondo. And you've got two guys that, you know, Rondo's kind of the orchestrator of offensive sets. Deion Waiter's a I-can-get-my-own-shot type of guy and, and can do that. And he's a good spot-up guy, right? So he's somebody that offensively, I think he's a guy who, when things are gunked up, that he's just a different look that you can give than any of the other guards. But it's more of like a 10th, 11th man type of role than something that I'd see on a regular basis. So I have a question for you. Avery Bradley positionally i guess was the point guard even though he didn't do a lot of point guardy things there is another point guard that's on this roster who has basically been at the end of the bench for most of the season he got some run at the start start of the year and i was quasi excited about him um somewhat right like we knew we knew his limitations but i thought he could play and in some games he has played 
played well. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about Quinn Cook, of course. Do you envision Cook potentially being even a part-time solution from a minutes perspective in terms of soaking up some time um, with Bradley now out, especially when you consider that it's a restart and, Mm -hmm. and while we envision things playing to form and yet they were starting to tighten up the rotation before the end of the season. Um, I don't know if that's how things are going to play out now. Right. right. Especially with the stoppage. Are you going to need, are we going to have eight man rotations when guys haven't played for four months? Like it, it would stand a reason to me that coaches are probably going to need to go a little deeper into their bench, right? To not like guys are not tuned up to be playing 42 minutes a night. I mean, and, and maybe, you know, LeBron and AD and everybody's been able to maintain to, to the best degree that they can, but it, it would stand a reason that, yeah, maybe you go a little bit deeper in your rotation. And then that's when guys like cook, can come up as options. Yeah. Do you think though that he, he could serve any sort of role within this? I, I think you'd have to pick your spots with him. And this would be true of waiters as well. Um, but with Cook, it's more of a matter of who can he defend. If you've got a smaller spot up shooter, if you've got a team, I'm trying to think in the West, are there wing led teams where, you know, there's so for example, you know, the Lakers are an example of a team like this, right? Where oh, the Clippers are another mm-hmm. team, right? Where, you know, Patrick Beverly, for example, it's you don't need Quinn Cook to, you know, defensively, he's not going to get burned by Patrick Beverly, except for possibly on the boards, right? Now, Cook is not going to be able to handle that ball pressure. And that's you find yourself in a similar position with K- he's a better ball handler than KCP is, but similar to what you were saying earlier of like, oh, it's going to be LeBron on every possession. If it's not LeBron, you're going to have AD doing that, which is part of the value of AD, right? Yeah. That he's that size, but is is a good ball handler. He's Cook has played in limited minutes, but has played very well alongside LeBron and AD. Uh, this is something you could say about a lot of players, right? Sure. And, and, yeah. Uh, and so I think he's that's a direction that you can go in. Um, but to that end of the playing well with LeBron and AD, I, I wanted to bring it back to Caruso real quick. In that, I think that Caruso is more of a contender for the closing lineup than he is for the starting lineup, because a lineup like those lineups with say Caruso, LeBron, and AD. Danny Green is the fourth guy. You've got KCP in there. You've got Kuz. You've got Morris. These are all options, right, mm-hmm. that, that you can go with that. And the the reason why Caruso works particularly well with LeBron and AD, it's, it's twofold, is defensively, right, he's a guy who his, his aggression on, on the perimeter and ability to switch to an extent is something that he can get the Lakers out into transition, which even in the playoffs will have some degree of value. But on the offensive end, he's an especially good screen setter. He's a guy who is kind of the connective tissue in their elbow series sets. When you got LeBron on the elbow, uh is going to send a set a wide pin down and AD's going to flex cut off of that or he's going to pop out. And Caruso, I'm working on a video right now uh, about this just he and LeBron both make the same reads at the same time. And there's so there's a synchronicity between them that's particularly cool that is really underlies why they've got the best two-man rating. Uh, but I think that if the Lakers are not going to start out with AD at the five, I think that like it's more it's more to have Caruso in on those closing lineups. Like Caruso is who replaces JaVale 
in a lot of ways. And then, you know, you go to those smaller five out type sets where there's a lot of ball handling, a lot of shooting, great defensive pressure. I mean, you know, you can have Danny at the three, right? No, it's a got, cha- basically what you're saying is, is like this, that looks like a championship level team, right? It does. Be, because, it does. Mm-hmm. because while, um, every player on the floor outside of LeBron and AD has some sort of weakness, right? Mm-hmm. The, the overlap in skill sort of creates this phalanx of skills, right? That, that, I love it. that, that, I love that. that covers up the weaknesses of these guys and allows them to play to their strengths. And, and that's the greatness of LeBron and AD based lineups, but it also speaks to the specific skills and mindset even, and style of play that these other guys bring to the floor specifically. Right. Right. And and you think about on the defensive end, when the Lakers were at their best, it looks like they had f- five and a half or six guys on the court, in part because their rotations were so good. Their closeouts were so good yes. when they were at their best. And they're chasing guys off the three point line and then someone else is rotating over. Then someone's closing out on the weak side to the wing. And then the guy up top is closing out to the corner, man. And they were so good at that. And so when you look at that, LeBron and A.D., two of the best when when they're locked in doing that right and then Caruso is phenomenal on his closeouts Danny Green's a great help defender KCP is is great at jumping passing lanes so you've got a, a lot of this action that's defensively it's pressuring and like pushing the ball toward the Lakers end of the court yeah uh you know jumping passing lanes ch- uh, chasing guys off the three-point line that I think fits well defensively that I think you've got a lot of potential there no there there is this great meshing of skills right and, and you laid it out there but it's like Caruso is sort of a hybrid between what Danny Green does as an off-ball worker what Avery Bradley does as like a I can defend at the point of attack guy Mm -hmm. and sort of what KCP does in terms of some ball hockiness that Mm -hmm. that he has as well right and and so speed so Mm -hmm. if you're flanking Caruso who has a bunch of different really good defensive perimeter skills with a really good help defensive wing like Danny Green Mm -hmm. and then sort of this off ball sort of free safety sort of lock and trail right like a real defensive back type of player in Mm -hmm. KCP and then you've got LeBron who's just really you know just a brilliant basketball player and understands all of the rotations and where everyone's supposed to be at any given time and the ultimate eraser with Anthony Davis there are there's not a lot of weakness there to attack in an individual way right and it's almost like it's it's an aggressive defense almost where like the defense is it's forcing you to go like it's an offensive type of defense right like meaning that it's not laying back and protecting it's pushing up on you and it's 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 being aggressive it's jumping passing lanes nope, chasing it, off the line right to make an old football reference from from when i was an nfl fan it, it's it's very like 85 bears ish right like mm-hmm. right where Blitzing where and, where they're yeah. just getting after you all all of the time like a pass rush i actually really love that that analogy right like it's like they've it's like they've got a great pass rush with that group yeah and then you've got ad and even lebron right and and caruso too and this is where 
when you talk about and it's just a lot of smart defensive players because all of those guys that I mentioned, AD is a great, obviously, defensive big well, big man in terms of challenging shots at the rim. But LeBron and Caruso are great at making weak side rotations in front of the charge circle to make mm-hmm. you either draw an offensive foul or adjust mm-hmm. your line of attack to give AD or whatever big man is is there. It could be Dwight Howard. It could be JaVale mm-hmm. McGee. An opportunity then to come and lurk weak side to challenge shots once they're in the air and it's one of the reasons why the lakers have been a top five defensive team pretty much the entire season right because they built their scheme and have the right types of players in in order to challenge you at all three levels of the court in ways that most teams are not used to being challenged so I agree with you on on the defensive end. There's a lot to like. Do you trust Caruso to hit shots in the playoffs? No, in the same way I probably didn't trust Avery Bradley, right? Like there Mm -hmm. is one of the things, and I didn't make this in the make this point in the first half of the pod when we were really talking about Bradley's game. One of the things I learned to appreciate about Bradley is he sort of had a bit of an inflated idea about how much of a role he should take as a shooter at times <laughs> right okay uh-huh. like he, he he just did not care like if if the lakers are going to run that horn set six times and you're going to sag right. off of him in the six drop, times yeah, he's gonna shoot. like he's going to shoot that pull pull up well, jumper he should. because and he should he's open and mm-hmm. and he shot it with confidence and it's one of the reasons why he shot 51 percent from two-point range this season it wasn't because he got a bunch of dunks Right. Right. It's right. It's because he was able to get clean, clean layup looks and he was able to hit that mid range jumper with pretty good consistency. And Mm -hmm. if there's a thing I worry about with Caruso, it's that in pressure moments, is he going to take it upon himself to read that the flow of the offense is actually coming to me. And mm-hmm. and in order to make it stop coming to me, I have to show you that I'm willing to take and then make this mm-hmm. shot. Because like we've talked about it all season when it comes to like whether or not the Lakers are built for the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And and one of the ideas of of well of the playoffs is is trying to make the other team play to a weakness consistently mm-hmm. over and over and over again, right? And and the more we can scheme you towards your weakness, the more likely it is that we are to win. And teams are going to scheme Alex Caruso to have to shoot the ball, right? And not just yeah. the open spot up threes. They're going to mm-hmm. scheme him to take, to drive to the rim and have to finish over the top of mm-hmm. defenders, they're going to scheme him to have to take that pull-up jumper every once mm-hmm. in a while, and he's got to be willing to take it, first of all. Right. And and that's why Bradley, I, I'm more concerned about Crusoe than I would be about Bradley for a couple of reasons. For one, that pull-up jumper, those are going to be, like with, with the mid-range game, 
it's not the ideal shot, but it's the shot that will be open a lot of times when the defense does their job. And the defense is going to do their job more often in the playoffs. There are a lot more possessions in the playoffs where that's the right shot to take on that particular possession. And that isn't really, that pull-up jumper isn't really an element of Crusoe's game. He had gotten a little bit better of it as as time had gone on, but that little elbow jumper is just not, like, if teams can scheme toward that, they will happily do that. Whereas Bradley will take that, and I know that he's going to knock that down. Um, I'm. I also know that as a veteran, Bradley's played in these types of games before. Crusoe was in the G League not that long ago, and that was his primary basketball experience. Now we're asking him to possibly be in closing lineups for an NBA title contender is a big leap in terms of the level of intensity, how fast you need to be able to make your reads, how quickly you need to be able to get into your shot and get up that look because the window of opportunity is less and less. So offensively, there are going to be games where teams, like you said, where they're scheming toward weakness and they're going to say, Alex Crusoe needs to score 14 points or more to beat us in this game because that's how we're going to defend this team. We're going to we're going to yeah. gear everything toward him having to produce at that level in order for the Lakers to win. And he's just not experienced enough for me to feel confident. It's not to say that he's not going to do it or that he can't do it. He just has not done it before. Whereas a guy like Bradley has been through the wars and has been through playoff series, maybe not to the level where we're hoping to get to, but there's something to build off of where I I feel more confident and comfortable in Bradley in those situations. Yeah. The thing that I appreciate and think plays in Caruso's favor here, though, is that he is a very smart player. And Mm -hmm. when you're a smart player, you can find ways to adapt to the scheme that teams are trying to throw at you. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that may mean cutting a certain way or setting a different type of screen or taking one step in another direction in order to have a better angle so that instead of driving into um, a pull-up jumper, he's driving and getting a step and a half further into the paint, which then draws help, which then opens up either a floater or a lob or a dish-off pass, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are, and that's the beauty of, playoff basketball right is Mm. is not the huge adjustments it's it's the tweaks it's the small minor adjustments that the that the individual players make within the larger structure of the game plan on the fly on the court to make a winning play and Mm -hmm. Alex Caruso makes winning plays and and that's where I have confidence in him as an overall player where my confidence starts to wane some is is his ability to then say you know what F it it's Mm -hmm. like it's my turn and like that's what you saw in like a very sort of similar player in like Fred Van Vliet right Fred Mm -hmm. Van Vliet was just like Okay, you're telling me that you're going to go under this screen? Well, guess what? I'm bombing this three, right? right? And that was just a mindset that he had. And is Caruso going to do that? I'm not exactly sure, but he's going to be tested in those ways this postseason for sure. That that question with Bradley's absence just became a lot more important. Is can and will Crusoe be willing and able to do that? Because I agree with you that he's going to make those reads. 
it's going to be a matter of whether or not he can execute upon them and, and score to the degree that I think he's going to be asked to. Um, so just to, to put a bow on this, I, th- I think we're going to see uh, a- an increase in both KCP and Caruso's role. We didn't talk about Rondo. Let's talk about Rondo a little bit. Do you think that Bradley's absence impacts Rondo's role? I hope not. I, but do you think it does? Um, probably. He'll probably pick up some extra minutes for sure. We'll probably mm-hmm. see more minutes with him and LeBron. But that was something that we were starting to see before the shutdown happened too. When the line, when the rotation was starting to shrink some, it, it, it was Rondo who was starting to get some some extra time. And honestly, he was taking advantage of those extra minutes and playing well enough where he wasn't um, mm-hmm. a major deficit like on the floor. Look, like you and I have both honestly spoken about Rajon Rondo this year and honestly spoken about him and most people frame that from a negative context, but I think we've also honestly spoken about him in terms of the positives that he can bring to the floor but does not always bring. Right. And look, the playoffs are proving ground and they're proving ground year after year after year. You don't get to be LeBron James by showing up in the playoffs once every three or four years. Right. Right. You get to be LeBron James by showing up every single year. And that's how you and that's how you prove it. And it's how you make a legacy. So when we talk about the proving ground in the same way we were just talking about Alex Caruso, it's going to be a proving ground time for Rajon Rondo too, right? And I'll be very interested to see how he responds to some of the things that he'll be tested with this this postseason as well. Rajon Rondo is not my ideal player, and I'll keep it at that. I do think that he can help in some very specific ways, whether or not he can overcome the scheming that he will see is a very open question to me and something that I have concerns about in the same way that I have concerns about nearly every role role, role player, though to Rondo in some ways to a higher degree and in some ways to a lesser degree, honestly. Yeah, it's funny. I don't think Bradley's absence changes Rondo's role that much just in that they were asked to do completely opposite things you can see them you know superficially as both being point guards Bradley is the starter and Rondo is the backup but what they're asked to do and what they are good at and is is just so they're so different that I don't think that losing Avery Bradley like if it means incorporating Rondo more it means changing stylistically what you're looking to do uh, we, like you said we did see a, a bit of an increase of, in his minutes beforehand but I don't think that that was generally that tied to Bradley I think that that was at the sake of Caruso in yeah. you know in terms of a, a minutes perspective so I think ultimately it's going to be KCP and Caruso who see a, a bump in role on that that remains to be seen but KCP was who Vogel start, Vogel started when Bradley was out before I suspect we'll see more of that and then that will free up space for Caruso with that second unit right um, and so uh, it, it should be interesting wishing uh, Avery and his family good luck and good health through all of this uh, hopefully we can you know bring home a title for That's him right. um, and then uh, yeah let, let's hold off for the next episode there's been some talk about about J.R. Smith uh, but I think you properly pointed out before we started recording that 
his potential addition probably doesn't have too much to do with Avery Bradley. This is us speculating, of course, but uh, let's when when that time comes, we'll record and we'll we'll talk about we will table J.R. Smith. Yeah, we, if that happens, yeah, we will table the talk of a potential roster change if and when a roster change or a roster move happens. Right, and, That's right. and just to tack on one last thing about Brad. Bradley we talked about him a lot this this pod just want to say like just a thanks to him for Mm -hmm. what he did for this team this year Mm -hmm. um yeah he'll be missed I I was not and I'm just going to come out and say this I was not particularly high on Avery Bradley as a signing Mm -hmm. when his name was first floated during the offseason and I was wondering how much he had left in the tank I was wondering what type of contributor he was going to be based off of like the last two and a half years or so of of how he had played Um, a lot of that was injury influenced and I just had a lot of questions about him and he was a consummate and productive professional this season and he was instrumental in getting the Lakers to the position that they were in when the season shut down which was clearly a championship contender the team with the best record in in the Western Conference and he had a lot to do with that by playing really well in the role that he was asked to play so so just props to him and, and from a fan's perspective just a thank you to him yeah, he he had a better season. I was in a similar camp as you, and he was uh, he was better than I thought he was going to be, and a key part of what was a, a really really good team. And he'll definitely be missed. So, um, but yeah, that that'll wrap this one up. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Gamble in and out, the ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left, here's Van Exel. This is for the win, he got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?